This message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. At the end, we will give information about how to contact us to receive a copy of this or other messages. To 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Paul says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit teaches all things, even the depths or the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thought of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised or discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. have to say, this is really really such a fantastic passage, and Look forward to uh, to getting to this passage for quite a long time. When we get to uh, chapter two, verse six, it actually marks a a pretty big turning point in Paul's argument. Uh, in fact, what we have in chapter two, verse six, is the entire theme of six through sixteen um, put into one verse. And uh, what we're going to see in this section is that Paul's going to use a number of what we could call Corinthian catchphrases or catchwords, such things as wisdom, mature, spiritual. And uh, as one, uh, one expositor says, Paul takes up the major catchwords which have been embedded in the life of the church at Corinth. And his most urgent task at this point is neither to reject their validity nor to bypass what was important for the readers, but to reclaim the gospel, reclaim the terms for the gospel by redefining them in the light of the nature of God and the gospel itself. These Corinthians think that they're wise. Paul's teaching them what true wisdom is. These Corinthians think that they're spiritual, super spiritual. Paul's going to teach them what it is to really be spiritual. These Corinthians think that they are mature. And Paul's going to actually demonstrate to them what real maturity is. The section is divided up 
into three parts. You have the origin of wisdom, 2, 6 through 9, then the revelation of the wisdom, 2, 10 through 13, and then the recipients of the wisdom, 2, 14 through 16. Now, I said that verse 6 actually provides us, uh, as it were, the, uh, the, uh, the theme of the entire section. The, the Greek uh, text order actually goes like this. Wisdom, we speak among the mature. And you can actually see that in six, verses 6 through 9, Paul talks about wisdom. In 10 through 13, he talks about how they speak. And then verses 14 to 16, he defines who are the mature. And so this is uh, really um, just, uh, it, this, is a, this is an exegetical delight. This is absolutely, it's a, this is a grammatical nirvana. All right. Well, the origin of wisdom. Notice Paul says very clearly, but we speak, New American Standard, yet we speak wisdom among the mature. What we have in the New American Standard is the word yet. Um, it's, it's a little stronger than that. It's, it's more of an adversative conjunction, but, uh, and the idea is nevertheless, and, and what you have to do is you have to look at verse 4, where Paul says, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. You could well imagine the Corinthians hearing Paul, in a sense, denounce wisdom and have them with sort of a smug attitude say, yeah, that's right. See, Paul doesn't know anything about wisdom. Uh, If only he actually understood what we understand. Uh, The other day, um, David Lovey, many of you remember David, we stay in, in, in regular contact with each other. And in fact, he typically calls me on a, later on a Saturday night. And I'm thinking, he's two hours ahead and I'm about ready to go to bed. What is he doing staying up? But then we usually have a conversation that lasts for quite a long time uh, with him making nonstop Jewish jokes. And um, anyway, he... Uh, contacted me the other day and and he described a, a a person in his congregation who was imbibing a certain theological perspective and he says what do you what do you think about this and he says i i meet with this guy and his wife tomorrow and i said well i said this guy will automatically think that he's the smartest guy in the room and that you simply don't get it. The next day, he emailed me and said, you nailed it. He says, the, the, the whole thing was how I did not understand what Jesus really meant and how he did. This is the attitude of the Corinthians. 
they, they look at Paul, they look at, at, um, at, at his teaching, which seemed to them to just be so basic. And, and boy, they, they were the ones that really understood what wisdom was all about. They were the ones that were really mature. And Paul uh, now turns around and he says, you know what? Here's the reality. We do speak wisdom, but we speak it among the mature. Now, uh, again, if you keep in mind the Corinthian attitude, you'll realize that this is sort of a backhanded slap, all right? Paul then says, the we. Now, notice, he actually switches. 2, 1 to 5 has all been first person singular. Now he switches to first person plural, we. This could be what's called the sort of the editorial we. Uh, so whenever I'm talking to Jason, I use we speaking just of myself, but what, you call that the first person plural of majesty, don't you, when I use it? Royal. Yeah, royalty, the royal we, yeah. Um, this, is, uh, this could just be just sort of an editorial we, you know, you do that sometimes, right? Or Paul could be referring to himself and the other apostles, uh, but in all likelihood, what he's probably doing is referring to himself and others who preach the message of the cross, so maybe not exclu- uh, uh, just inclusively with the apostles, but maybe uh, uh, including all those who are faithful preachers of the message of the cross. And notice he says, we do speak wisdom. Now, we've already seen this, this word wisdom used multiple times. In fact, I think I put in your notes all the uses of the word wisdom up to this point. We're not going to look at all those because we've already expounded each of those, each of those texts. But you have to remember that as Paul deals with wisdom, there are two very different types of wisdom. There is a human wisdom. There is a wisdom that is from this world. And then there is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is, is, is actually encapsulated in the message of the cross of Jesus. Okay? So real wisdom, real divine wisdom is nothing less than the message of the cross itself. Now, of course, how does the world look at God's wisdom? It thinks it's foolishness, all right? But you have two very distinct perspectives on wisdom, which, by the way, James deals with in James chapter 3, right? You have a wisdom from above and a wisdom which is from below. You have a wisdom from above which is righteous and peaceable. And you have a wisdom from below in which there is contention and it is demonic. One of the things that Christians easily lose sight of is that there is a a fundamental antithesis between the way the world thinks and the way we think. There is a fundamental antithesis between the world view of this present age and the world view of God's word. And And understand this, they are incompatible. The minute that you try to, to integrate them and, and, and bring them together, you end up obscuring, eclipsing, if not outright losing, 
the wisdom of God. The, the wisdom of God will never be esteemed by this world. And the wisdom of this world will always be foolishness in the presence of God. And so Paul says, we do, we do speak wisdom, which of course is at the heart, Christ and him crucified. Now, notice in this text, this wisdom is a predestined wisdom before all ages. Uh, Verse 7, it is a wisdom that has been prepared by God for those who love him, 2.9. And it is a wisdom which has both been concealed, hidden, and revealed. All right? And so he says, "We, we speak wisdom. You Corinthians may not like what we call wisdom. You may not like our perspective, but the fact is, is that we actually preach, we speak true wisdom, God's wisdom, wisdom which is from above, and it is the message of Christ and him crucified, and we speak that among the mature. Now again, you have to understand that, that, that Paul, is, Paul is not complimenting the Corinthians at this point. Okay? When he says among the mature, of course, this particular expression, mature, uh, refers to persons who are fully up to a standard in a certain respect and not satisfied with halfway measures. You could translate it complete. Um, it pertains to being mature, full-grown, a mature adult. Uh, and in fact, Paul uses this expression a number of times. He'll use it again later in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, where he urges the Corinthians to be mature in their thinking, all right? Be grown up in your thinking. That's the idea. Uh, this word is also used in Romans 12, 1 and 2 where the the will of God, the end of verse 2, the will of God is good and perfect, that's complete, and acceptable. It's used in Ephesians 4.13, where we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro, but we are to be what? We are to be growing up into a mature man in Christ, all right? Paul uses it in other places, and uh, and here, we might have the tendency to think that what Paul is doing is Paul is talking about those who are spiritually mature, that is, in a sense, the spiritually elite. Okay? Let me just say that, that is, that's a mistake to think like that in this passage. Context, remember, is everything. Context is always king. And so the mature here is not some elite group that's ready for really spiritually deep, obscure truth. The mature, first of all, are in contrast to babies in chapter 3, verse 1. But here, Paul's not simply trying to identify this spiritually elite group who are ready for the incredibly deep things of God, but rather he's talking the mature are those who have God's spirit and have embraced God's wisdom. That's the mature. 
That's the mature. Yeah, and understand that the minute that, uh, that we take mature here to mean um, uh, uh, some spiritually elite group, we actually end up playing into the Corinthians' perspective and we're abandoning Paul's perspective. All right? And so, Gordon Fee notes, he says, the usage of mature would seem to at least partly be ironic Those who are in Christ are the mature, and thus the Corinthians are included, but their behavior indicates that they are much more mere babes. And so here's a word that the Corinthians would have loved, mature, teleos, perfect, one of their favorite terms. And what Paul does is Paul actually takes this term that they think defines them, And he, in turn, defines it in a way that is much different than their perspective. So being spiritually adult means recognizing and embracing God's wisdom in the cross and knowing that it invalidates this, the wisdom of this age. So Paul says, we do speak wisdom, and we speak it among the mature, You could almost hear, are you listening, Corinthians? Are you listening? Are you listening to what the nature of true wisdom and true maturity really is? And then he turns around and he puts it negatively, but not the wisdom of this world. Neither the rulers of this world, which are being abolished. Now, Paul's already talked about the wisdom of this age or the wisdom of this world. And Paul, at this point, Paul makes the the antithesis very, very clear. We do speak wisdom, but the wisdom that we speak is not worldly wisdom. For some reason, evangelicals are somewhat addicted to trying to figure out how to take the wisdom of God and put it in the garb of the wisdom of this world. We, 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 we typically try to take uh, the message of God's word and then yet clothe it in ways that seem relevant to our culture. We try to put it in, in, in clothing that, um, that, that somehow um, will attract the people of the world. And, and here's, here's the reality is that that's, that's not our job. That's not our job. The minute we start trying to dress up the wisdom of God in the garb of this wisdom's, uh, this world's wisdom, uh, we end up losing the message. R.L. Dabney, who was an old Presbyterian, Southern Presbyterian, back during the Civil War, said that, that in the history of preaching, there are, there are three distinct stages that you see repeating itself over and over. And the one stage is what you could call a golden age of biblical preaching. It's scriptural truth in scriptural garb. But then, um, as the church becomes uh, enamored with wanting to be accepted by the world, then we begin to preach scriptural truth in worldly garb, 
And then final stage is that we're left with nothing but worldly truth in worldly garb. When we start to go down that road, we, we, we are forgetting where the power is. The power is not in the wisdom of this age. I don't need to try to, to make God's truth relevant. It is relevant from age to age. I don't need to try to dress it up, as we mentioned, was it last week or week before, so that people think, uh, wow, that guy's really cool. I've made my peace with the fact that I'll never be cool. And it does absolutely nothing to detract from the power of the gospel. Okay? Now, Paul denounces the idea, but not of the, wis- the wisdom of this world. And then notice, nor the rulers of this age, which are being abolished. And so then Paul uses this expression, rulers of this age. He's going to bring them up again in verse 8, the rulers of this age. And uh, I have to tell you that this, uh, I, I've changed my mind about this passage. That does happen. For, I, I, have, I have the capacity to change my mind. And uh, I used to take the expression rulers of this age actually to be a reference to uh, the demonic powers. Okay. And uh, after looking at that again in more detail, uh, I think that what Paul's talking about here is not explicitly the demonic powers. Um, These are the rulers of this present age. And I think that what he's talking about are the human rulers who were ultimately responsible for the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ both Jewish and Roman rulers of this age. I think that the, the scripture bears this out. Um, Psalm 2.2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ saying, by the way, that psalm is quoted in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 to 27, and then immediately applied to Pilate and the Sanhedrin and those who crucified our Lord Jesus. And so in the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 17, and now brethren, Peter says, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. Chapter 13 and verse 27 of Acts, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither Christ nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And so I take the uh, idea of the, the rulers of this world. These would be, by the way, the same people that Paul has described earlier in chapter 1 as the wise, the powerful, the noble, the well-born. Don't think this necessarily precludes earthly rulers from, in a sense, playing their part under the influence of supernatural forces. But I do think that the emphasis falls on earthly rulers. Now notice, we speak 
God's wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are passing away. And so the, the powers that be, the powers that were responsible, ultimately, in verse 8, for what we see is the uh, crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, what they were doing as they embraced their wisdom of this age is they were actually signing their own death warrant. The crucified Christ is actually going to be the one who seals their ultimate defeat. Notice that expression which are passing away or coming to nothing or, or being abolished. I think there that the emphasis is, is on future destruction. So the powers have unwittingly destroyed themselves. The powers, the rulers of this age, have unwittingly sealed their own doom. Now, in so doing, they not only have sealed their own doom, they cooperated in the sovereign purpose of God in saving the world. David Garland said, they, the rulers, did not know, however, that they were playing into the hands of God and that their evil butchery would lead to their undoing and humanity's salvation. So Paul says, but, verse, uh, verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Now what's going to happen is verses 7 and 8 are going to be somewhat explanatory of verse 6 as our outline shows. So verse 7, why those of this age cannot understand God's wisdom. And then verse 8, the failure of this age's rulers. And so in your notes, you might see that you have, you have an A and a B and then an A with a superscripted one and a B with a superscripted one, trying to show you the, the way that the verses actually are parallel to each other. And so, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery which has been hidden, which has been predestined before the ages for our glory. And so Paul says, again, we speak God's wisdom. Now, he says in a mystery. He's not saying we speak in a mystery. All right? Um, in Paul's day, there, throughout the Roman Empire, there, there were what were called the mystery religions, the mystery cults. And the idea of musterion, which we get our word mystery from, um, this was um, this was in a sense a sort of a secret language. It was code language. So you would have people who um, would uh, understand what was being said. They were the initiate uh, initiants. They were the ones who had been initiated into, in a sense, the secret knowledge club. Now, by the way, they end up being called Gnostics later, all right? Um, and, and there are still Gnostics to this day, okay? Um, but Paul's not saying we speak in a mystery as if we speak in mysterious terms. We speak God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is in mystery, all right? Now, mystery is not something that is 
mysterious. Mystery is not a whodunit. Okay? Mystery has nothing to do with that. Mystery has everything to do with something which was hidden that needed to be revealed if it was to be understood. Okay? So God's wisdom is what? Very simple. God's wisdom is what? What's that? Huh? Okay. In, in, in our passage, in our passage, what is God's wisdom? I've been saying it over and over and over again and again and again. What is it? It's the cross. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of Christ and him crucified. That is the wisdom of God. That is the, that is the uh, essence of the wisdom of God. And so Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God in mystery. And so in other words, what Paul is saying is, is that this message of, of, of the wisdom of God, it was hidden in times past. God had actually concealed it. Now, what he does, you, you could think of it this way. Um, think of the message of the cross and uh, think of it as a, as, as a light and you put it into a basket so God conceals it. But through that basket, uh, that light uh, permeates the, the, uh, the, the, the little spaces between the, uh, the, the pieces of the basket. And so in the Old Testament, they didn't have the full light. That light was, as it were, concealed to a large degree. But it did permeate out here and there so that, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, Christ is revealed throughout the Old Testament. But what do you actually need in order to see Christ in the Old Testament? Well, you need the appearing of Christ and the Holy Spirit, okay? So Paul says, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, which has been hidden. And then he turns around and he says, which God predestined. In other words, this God predestined his wisdom. In other words, the idea here is, is that God's salvation in Christ has been God's eternal plan all along. Before the foundations of the world, God actually had a plan. And that plan was a perfect plan. It was a predestined wise plan that culminated in the person of his son, Ephesians 1.11. There is a sense in which, in which, um, <laughs> there is a sense in which the entirety of human history, the entirety of the creation ultimately points to the pinnacle of all things, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? <laughs> Everything in one way or another ultimately points to Jesus Christ. When you wake up in the morning and you look over there and, that, and the sun starts to come up and starts to shine its light, it is a reflector 
of the one who says, I am the light of the world. The true light shines in the darkness. When, when When you eat your daily food, it is a physical reminder that there is one who is the bread of life. As you drink, it is a reminder of the one who is the water of life. As you look at your marriage, it's a reflection of the Lord Jesus and his bride. God has constructed this universe to point us to his son. And one of these days, it will all come together in such a way that everything will be summed up in Jesus Christ. And so that hidden plan which God predestined has been revealed. And then notice how Paul puts this. This this sounds a little strange to us. Which God predestined before the ages, so eternity past, to our glory. You better be careful how you read that. God predestined this wisdom before all ages for our glory. Your glory and my glory. You think you need to be careful in the way that you understand that. Absolutely, because what Paul is not saying is God did all of this to glorify you. What's the opposite of glory? At least in this passage, shame. Who suffers shame? Well, those who believe in the foolishness of the cross. They're the ones that are ridiculed. They're the ones that are put to shame by this present world and by the wisdom of this present world. Who who are the nothings and nobodies? Well, it's those who are the called. Uh, who, who are those that don't matter according to this world? They're actually the ones upon whom God set his love and affection before uh, the foundations of the world. And what Paul is saying is that what has happened, what has unfolded for us in the coming of Christ, in the message of the cross, in the gospel itself, there is, a, there is a, in a sense, a, a last day or an eschatological language to this. God has revealed his plan in Christ at the end of the age, which, by the way, we live in. You understand? You do, you do understand you live in the end of the age. And if you'd have been born a thousand years ago, you would still have lived in the end of the age. And if you would have been born 2,000 years ago, you would have been born at the end of the age. You understand that, right? Because the end of the age is brought about by by what? Well, by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That's what marks the last days. It's not Israel going back to the land in 1948. It's the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father after having been crucified, dead, buried, and raised. 
And so we're in these last days, we're at the end of the age. And so what Paul is saying is, is that this plan of God, which has been uh, predestined, has actually unfolded at the end of the age in which we live. And it is this wisdom, it is this plan of salvation that will bring about your final salvation as we share in a future glory. Of course, as opposed to the rulers of this world. The rulers of this world are passing away. They're slated for judgment. You are slated for glory. Glory. Listen to these these passages. I love these texts. The apostle says to the Thessalonians... He writes, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about when Jesus comes back, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at by all who have believed, but probably most significantly, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and, anybody remember, fellow heirs, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Boy, we forget this. For those whom he also foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would become the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. When Paul talks about glorification, okay, so there's a sense in which God says... Um, I am the Lord, that is my name. I don't share my glory with another. In other words, I don't share my fame. I don't say, hey, I did a great job, you did a great job. Here's my trophy, here's your trophy. Great. God doesn't do that. He is the pinnacle. He's numero uno. He doesn't share that glory with anyone else. But the glory for which we have been predestined is is partaking in the glory that is to be revealed. The glorification for Paul is, uh, is, is, is in a real sense, um, our salvation coming full circle. The Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. Now, we're not sons of God in the same way that Jesus is the son of God, but he makes us partakers of his family, partakers of his glory, so that our future is a future of glory. A participation in the splendor and the majesty of God. Paul says, God predestined this wisdom for your glory. You have a hard day today? Tough day with the kids? Tough day at work? Tough day with your spouse? 
tough day trying to pay bills. Child of God, God has predestined his wisdom for our glory. The present sufferings of this age do not compare with the glory that is to be revealed. So maybe you're suffering and you're miserable tonight. Take heart. Maybe, maybe your life is good. Maybe everything's fine. Now, I doubt it, but let's just say, for sake of argument, everything's fine. You're totally blissed out in your marriage. All of your kids have the Bible memorized and love Jesus. You're making more money than you know what to do with, and you support world missions, and you're going to pay off the church's mortgage. And life is good. The glory that is to be revealed will make your present happiness look like misery. God has a future for his people. And that future is is incarnate in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so the crucified one, by the way, this is, this is interesting, is it not? Verse 8, Paul goes on and he, he says, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified. Notice the Lord of glory. This is so magnificent. So the, the, the very pattern for our Lord Jesus is the crucified one. Crucified in shame and in weakness is now the Lord of glory. Humiliation precedes exaltation. And so it is with the people of God. Now, what does Paul mean, which none of the rulers of this age understood? For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, this wisdom is is hidden. The only way you know the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus is if God takes the initiative to reveal it to you. Do you understand that? This, This is not a matter of how high your IQ is or how many college classes you took or this has nothing to do with any of that. You could have an IQ of the room temperature here and yet if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's been revealed to you by God and you're wise. And so none of the rulers of this age understood this wisdom because actually if they had known it, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they had known. This, by the way, is what's called an unreal condition. It describes for us this divine irony. I think it's Gordon Fee says, the very ones who were trying to do away with Jesus by crucifying him 
were in fact carrying out God's prior will destined for our glory before time began. Instead of crucifying a messianic pretender, they killed the Lord of glory himself, the very one who, as Lord of all the ages, is therefore Lord of the final glory that is both his and his people's ultimate destiny. And so you remember in the preaching of the apostles, the the apostles in the book of Acts are so clear as they preach to the people of Jerusalem and to the rulers, you don't know what you did. You crucified the prince of life. You had no idea who he was. There's a little bit of an irony here. Again, Gordon Fee says the Pauline irony, of course, is that the Corinthians, in pursuing Sophia, are pursuing what belongs to this age, which is passing away, and whose rulers were implicated in the divine irony. What do they do? They crucified the Lord of glory. You can certainly argue that they should have known better. Jesus, in fact, in Luke chapter 22, tells the people of Jerusalem, you should have recognized the day of your visitation. They were absolutely, completely responsible for not recognizing the Lord of glory. And yet in their own hatred and their own self-centeredness and their own self-servingness and their own sin, they end up doing nothing other than being unwitting participants in executing the purpose of God. Let me just say that if the rulers of this world are unwitting participants in the execution of the purpose and plan of God, then we really do serve a God who is absolutely sovereign over absolutely everything. Everything. And just when when we think that the world is spinning out of control, just when we think that, that, that things can't get any worse, or just when fear starts to grip our hearts about well, what are the next 10 years going to look like, what is, what's life for my grandkids going to look like, we have to remember that we serve a God who is the absolute ruler of his world, and he uses even his enemies to bring forth his praise. So you don't need to be afraid. If if God could execute his purpose by bringing forth his divine wisdom through the hands of ignorant, blind, sinful, wicked butchers in the crucifixion of his son, and by the way, the crucifixion of his son is the most heinous crime in all of human history. ISIS has nothing on the Sanhedrin And the Romans. That's our God. That is our God. And so Paul says, just as it stands written, verse 9, and we'll end here, just as it stands written, things which eyes not seen, ears not heard, has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, let me just say real quickly that we often take 
uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 in its entirety like this as a reference to heaven, all right? But context is king. And so lines 1 through 3 actually explain human inability to understand God's mystery. That's what's being described here. It's not the wonderful, blissful things of heaven, per se. It's, it's, it's underscoring human inability to understand God's way. And so what eye has not seen, that is, man is not able to empirically observe what ear is not heard. That is, there is no passing down of tradition which can be heard, which can explain, nor has entered the heart of man uh, that which is natively intuitive, intuition to man. So total inability, human inability to grasp God's wisdom. And then line four, what God has prepared for those who love him is a reference to what God is destined for our glory, which is our salvation in Jesus Christ what he's going to describe later as things which are revealed by his spirit. That which God has prepared for those who love him, a present salvation, and a future glory. Now, if you will search hard to try to find this text, it is probably Paul paraphrasing two passages and bringing them together. Isaiah 64, 4 and 65, 17. But be that as it may, notice what his point is, that this wisdom is hidden. Eye can't see it, ear can't hear it. It doesn't just enter into the heart of man. These great things that God has prepared for his people, they're not the things that just that, that you just uh, pick up by reading a book. They're not things that you just pick up because you've got Uh, Christian parents. These aren't things you just pick up. These are things that have to be revealed. And so the wisdom of God is the message of the cross. And that message is preached. And when that message is preached, the spirit of God demonstrates the power of God. And now what Paul's doing is he's beginning to explain where this wisdom comes from and how it comes to us. And so remember, there's a sharp antithesis between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Do do not be surprised when unbelievers don't have a clue what you're talking about. What common ground do we share with unbelievers? Well, it is somewhere deep inside, but it's not in the common values that we share or the so-called common truths that we believe. There's a sharp antithesis, and I would remind us that unless God reveals his wisdom in Christ through his spirit, you nor I have the capacity to embrace it. Paul's going to develop this in the next two sections. And so how does this apply to us If you've embraced the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ, if you actually have welcomed the message of the cross as your only hope and Jesus Christ as your only salvation, if you've embraced that that message which is despised by the world, I will tell you that you've embraced it Because God has revealed it to you as a gift. And since it is a gift, how we should thank 
our God. There's not a single, there's not a single person in this room who deserved to have God reveal his wisdom to them. We in Adam long ago had cast our lot in with the rulers of this age. There is not a single one of us who comes into this world privileged enough or smart enough, intelligent enough, wise enough to be able to figure out and understand the wisdom of God. And I want to tell you that there are only two, two categories of people here tonight, those who have embraced the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ and have repudiated the wisdom of this age and those who are still clinging to the wisdom of this age and you think the cross is foolish. There's coming a day when your wisdom will be utterly exposed for the folly and rebellion that it is. And there is coming a day when the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus will be utterly vindicated so that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, if you're a Christian, if you love the Lord Jesus, if you've embraced the message of of the cross... I want to remind you of the words of our Lord Jesus. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Blessed be God, who still reveals his mysteries to those who believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would help us to sift through our own hearts and minds and and just see where we have imbibed the wisdom of this world and where it's eclipsing your wisdom. Father, it is is easy for us to, to slip into Corinthian syndrome. And we pray that you would that you would keep us attached to the cross of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would keep our eyes clear and our hearts clear. We pray that we would treasure your wisdom in Christ above all else. We commit ourselves to you and to the word of your grace, which is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among the saints. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. To receive a copy of this or other messages, call us at area code 775-782-6516 or visit our website, gracenevada.com.